Welcome back to Left of Normal, where everything that isn't right is left, and everything that is left is right. I'm your host, Scott Siri. If you haven't done so already, please hit the like button for this podcast, leave a five-star review, maybe a six-star if you're able to hack into Google and do that, or you know whatever's available. While you're at it, please subscribe so you get first dibs whenever a new episode is released. So today we have a special guest on our cast. Uh, I welcome guests just about any time. So if you have a great story, brilliant insight, or just think that people enjoy listening to the sound of your voice, please send me a message, maybe leave a comment, or write your request in the notes of a Western Union money transfer of no less than 100 US dollars. So my guest and I, we go way back, all the way back to last fall sometime. Maybe last summer, I can't exactly remember. Uh, he's written a couple of books. He does leadership training and has had quite the Air Force career. Welcome to the show, Dave Nordell. Uh, thanks, Scott. I don't know if I meet any of those criteria, but I do got 100 bucks. So. All right. So I'd like to start things off with a handful of questions about our interactions, even limited as they may have been. And then we'll get into some more about you, what you do, and why you do it. So tell us, Dave. Uh, do you remember the first time we met or some of the earlier interactions? What did you think of me, the way I acted or interacted with you and groups we happen to be in? And just as a reminder, folks, I've encouraged my guests to be open and not worry about hurting my feelings because I don't actually have any. That's awesome. You know, it's kind of neat, Scott, because you mentioned my Air Force career, and we'll get into that. And I've been you know, leading people, large amounts of people, for quite some time. Uh, through my career. So I'm really hyper aware of, of how people put, uh, put themselves um, out initially. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I'm a really high extrovert and on your, and on your autism scale that you talk about, I'm the, uh, I'm the, uh, the person that drives you absolutely nuts. <laughs> and so through One Million Cups and your work there and me starting Max Fab Consulting and One Man with a Plan and uh, kind of being directed that way. Somebody said, you need to talk to Scott and you need to get, you know, on, uh, you know, uh, on at One Million Cups. And so we interacted, I think, you know, electronically until we were in the in the same room together. And uh, and me being me, you know, I come into a room, try to steal all the oxygen and get to know everybody <laughs> in five minutes. And here's Scott, and Scott is just methodically kind of going through things, and and you're speaking, and uh, uh, you're very exact, you're very succinct, uh, you're not wasting any energy on communication or, or interaction or, or being uh, or being social. So immediately I'm like, well, you know, Scott's introverted. Well, luckily, I've been psychoanalyzed enough that I've been taught how to kind of mine introverts and to <laughs> and to make sure that. Uh, they one they get their say one they feel included and 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 most importantly to understand that introverts and in your case people that are a little left of center bleed off tremendous amounts of energy when they're made to engage with people like me we dump 10 things into the atmosphere all at once and we can manage all of those and someone like you needs to process each of those 10 that might be a, a week and a half so we've <laughs> got it you know things need to be need to be in uh, in um, uh, bite size and, and 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 we can't guys like me guys and gals like me can't get our feelings hurt or pass judgment about people like you when we don't get immediate feedback because that's so ungratifying to us, right? We go, <laughs> hey, how you doing? And we got a big smile on our face and we're expecting you to high five and go, ooh, yeah, you know, you're my best friend, give me a hug. 
and we don't get that and then we're like oh what's wrong with that guy <laughs> so i never got to that point with you scott because um i've been fortunate enough to be around enough people with enough personality traits and 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 where they live on the spectrum that it's been uh uh it's been a blessing so I try really, really hard not to be that guy, even though sometimes my personality just is that. It is what <laughs> it is. So. Yeah, I'm just finishing up a book called The Introvert Advantage, and one of the things that the author recommends is when extroverts ask for feedback to tell them, I'll get it to you in a day or a couple days or whatever, however long you, you think it will take to get them the information. So then they're not sad that you're not immediately responding. Right. All right. So how aware are you or how much experience do you have with people on the autism spectrum? And what are your, the biggest things that you have learned over the years that made you think, oh, okay, now that makes sense? So I actually grew up, uh, we had, a, we had a, um, a guy in my high school class, back my 40-year reunions next month or in August, and, um, and he was autistic. We didn't even use that word back in the 80s, right? It was, you know, mm -hmm. it was just he was special needs, or even, even harsher words to describe. But, mm -hmm. but, he went through school with us. I mean, from from the time he's a little kid all the way to graduating, then he went through school with us, and he was way left of center, and and his emotions could be sparked, and you know how brutal children can be to other kids, and so um, a lot of times just for sport people would go there with him to get him to react in a way that was you know it was violent it was just he would act out and he would he would get um, uh, angry or run away or do things when you just put a little pressure on him to do that so I didn't know what that was I just knew that you know that uh, this guy that I grew up with was that and I, I knew that he got treated brutally at points in time uh, maybe for sport so he's been a blessing in my life because as I've transversed through life and, and, you know, I'm a nurse and I've been in medicine for my, you know, in my entire life. And so you deal with people from all genres and, you know, handicapped people mentally or otherwise. And so you kind of have to, you have to navigate those things. So what I've found is, is that um, it's really not the person, it's the environment. And if you can create an environment and have respect for what the environment needs to look like, I think everybody can kind of cohabitate even socially if they understand things. And so a lot of times people, once you become aware of that, and especially in a professional environment, people like myself can really facilitate an environment where people that are introverts feel welcome. They don't feel, you know, if I sit over here only by one person and we are just staring at everybody else, 19 people aren't going to come over and go, are you guys okay? How come you're not doing this? Why are you not out here? Let's dance. Let's <laughs> run. You know, leave people alone and respect that and, and understand that it might be 48 hours. You know, we're instant gratification people. We hit send on the, on, the, on the email, right? And then we're staring at the screen. <laughs> and people like you are not going to get back in a day or two because uh, it may need to sit. So, yeah, I, you know, I think that uh, uh, I'll never be a pro at it because I'm not there. That's not me. So you have to build large amounts of empathy and then you have to find balance between yourself and the other person so that you can actually work together because the world's full of, full of wonder, right? And, and everybody brings great stuff. I mean, to my life, what you've brought is, uh, is a critical eye to my writing 
and to stabilize that. And I knew when I turned that over to you that you weren't going to call me every other day or <laughs> send me a note or say, hey, on chapter whatever. It just magically one day it was, here's this stuff and take a look at it. And, and I gave you some feedback and then I knew it was going to sit for a while. Um, totally unsatisfying to me. And, you know, you're just like, <laughs> oh, gosh, you know, I, I know I got to wait and those kind of things. But you can't, uh, it's not a negative, I guess. I guess you can't draw anything to a negative. It's just who people are. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, how has your understanding of people that are left of normal, that are on the spectrum, changed the way you a- act and interact? You kind of alluded to that a little bit at the very beginning there. Uh, was there like an aha moment where you realized, uh, especially like this boy that you grew up with, uh, that you couldn't treat him the same as you do the rest of your peers, but he needed something different? Yeah. I think he had a, he had an older brother who didn't who was not on the autism scale I guess or he was center, um, and uh, his older brother did a good job of kind of explaining to those of us that were out of the mean cycle and actually said you know what's the deal. Uh, he was very gracious with sharing information you know don't do these things and don't do those kind of things and talk to him this way and. Uh, because there's certain things that will set you off. It's like a trigger in, in any other type of mental health condition, right? There's just certain things that just that just will totally drive you into a hole that it'll take you days to recover from. So you have to be very sensitive to that. So I'd say it probably started then, but but as I've worked with you know people, even even people that are just left of center that are out in society and functioning, you can run them out of your organization. You can lose their trust and faith as a boss, leader, supervisor, whatever that is, you can lose those things by not engaging at a level to understand these triggers, these, these things. And if, so if you keep running over the top of them, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to leave because they don't have, they don't see any hope in you. So, I mean, the big, you know, you're looking for the aha moment. I would say, See, I had probably a couple of subordinates when I was an early supervisor, early leader in the in the military. I had a couple of subordinates who were a little a little bit left of center, and I just wasn't mature enough to, you know, especially when you're in a military environment. I wasn't mature enough to slow down and adjust my leadership skills so that they could absorb me and what I needed them to do in a way that was um, that was digestible to them. And so I lost them. I mean, you know, they. You know, first of all, they weren't following me, and second of all, they left the military, and they were actually very productive people. So, gotta be careful with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's in almost all job situations. Everything that I've experienced, anyway, it's uh, the world is built on extroverts and the outgoing, bubbly personality, and so I've never flourished in jobs, or especially job interviews, where they judge you based on how outgoing you are. Like if you're applying to be a computer programmer you don't need to be super outgoing and smiley and excited to be at the interview you just want the job so you can get to work and so it seems that a lot of interviews especially are designed to work against people on the spectrum whether it's intentional or not well even if you look at how our uh, how our you know in larger places especially you know in in uh, brick and mortar places if you look how they set up work centers, they never take the introvert into 
into consideration, right? Because mm -hmm. um, introverts would like the high or the walls on the cubicle just a little higher and a little thicker, <laughs> right? And, yep. and, and harder to access, right? If you could pick where you wanted to be in the room, if somebody said, Scott, you're going to do this, this is going to be a job, pick where you want to be in the room. You would pick the least accessible, farthest away cubicle where you could have quiet, where people weren't hitting the <laughs> coffee pot and you were right there and you had to engage, you know, hey, Scott, hey, Scott, hey, Scott, because mm -hmm. that just drives you nuts, right? But nobody, <laughs> when they're designing a work center, doesn't do that. In fact, they do things like put big open spaces and throw a puzzle out there and say, hey, if you need five minutes, you know, go build a puzzle. <laughs> and, and they build coffee stations. And you think about it. I mean, you know, everything is, you know, coffee and social, social, social. And we have a huge portion of our society that as soon as you force them to do that, you're actually bleeding their energy. And, and so, you know, for, for people that are listening, that are leading other people that might be left of center, your first indicator is a quiet person getting quieter. Now, how do you figure <laughs> that out? And you really have to pay attention. You mm -hmm. really have to pay attention because, because people that are left of center when they're having problems and they're frustrated, they only get quieter if that's such a, if that's even possible, <laughs> right? But they become less withdrawn and the 48 hours turns into 96 hours mm -hmm. or some things, you know, just kind of fall off and you go, you know, Scott, where's this thing? And you go, you know what? I don't see that as important because it's, you know, you've engaged in the wrong way. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we just kind of disappear a little bit, not just get quieter, just separate right. completely. And then everyone wonders why you're being a party pooper. Because we're tired. I'm tired of you. That's amen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, you pretty much answered the this next one uh, about the podcast, the community, understanding of the spectrum, and how it's opened your eyes to things in your own life and your own personality. And you explained how in leadership you have to really be in tune with that in order to maximize your potential there. So we'll just get right into the next. Uh, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, what are you up to? How did you get to this point in your life? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, I guess I could I could ramble forever. I think we all <laughs> could. Um, you know, I grew up on a, on a in a farm environment on a on a dairy farm in Northern California, small place. I always joked that my the town which we would go into to do our stuff from the farm, you know, had one stoplight and it was in the wrong place. It was just it's just a slow little town. In <laughs> fact, I just got back from there visiting my mom, and it's still a lot, awful lot like when I left. And so I went in the military, and uh, and I ended up doing thirty years in the military, and uh, I had you know I had an extremely su successful career, experienced a lot, and got put through an awful lot. You know, from 1984 to 2014, so if you think of everything that our country's gone through in those time frames, I was involved probably at some level in all of that. And uh, and that shapes you as a person. It also shapes your mental health and, and, and those type of things. So when it came time to retire, uh, a lot of what Montana has to offer I love. So here we are. And you know, now I've been in Montana for as long as I've been any place. I, you know, in the military, I was <laughs> mm -hmm. never any place longer than three years, three months was the longest I was in one spot. So... It's pretty amazing that uh, that we've been here, and and you know it brings all the things that it brings. So, I get to Montana, and I start to experience a phenomenon. You know, I'm going to jump forward. We can talk about my military time, you know, at length, and you know my PTSD and, and moral injury and those type of things, and and uh, and maybe maybe in the in the next segment, Scott, we'll do that uh, mm -hmm. a little bit. We'll kind of go the other way, but but uh, you know the whole 
bull coming out of an institution like the United States military or prison or living in a foreign country for X, Y, Z years, right? And coming out into the civilian world, even as a huge extrovert with tools <laughs> that fit into the society, you don't fit. You're a, you're a square in a, in a triangle world. And a lot of times, uh, you, know, you know, in that in that environment, people don't get that. And so I've kind of been through the wash, rinse, spin cycle, and now dry, uh, now dry and fold of this whole phenomenon um, to include, you know, carrying around the baggage of, of my mental health challenges. So uh, you get out in the civilian world, and what do you not do? Well, you don't speak the same language. Your values are not aligned. You're, you, there's a sense of camaraderie that you need that's not just readily available in these institutions. Uh, you're highly capable. You've done incredible things, led at incredible levels, managed resources and, and, and people um, through some really rough times. And you get into civilian bureaucracies, and it's all about your name tag and what the title is on your name tag. And there's no language there. There's no way to close that gap. There's just this huge gap. So I went through that, bounced around a little bit, uh, took the first job that I could, that I could find coming out wrong answer that was, that was a mistake um, didn't take the time off I needed after I came out made another mistake got into this wonky job with this wonky boss doing wonky work managing restaurants I thought how hard is it to manage restaurants it's just young people I've been doing that forever it turned out to be it was a great experience for some things it was horrid mm -hmm. for, for reassimilation finally found a job that was close to what I needed and was working but the pay was ridiculous for my education experience level. So I left and I got into a job um, that was the whole antithesis of what I described. This whole being buried and not being, um, uh, nobody understanding my capabilities, my subject matter expertise and what I could really do for an organization and just kind of being stovepiped into a job title and you know manager, director or whatever. And it wasn't working, and I was struggling. I was struggling with a lot of things. Had a life-defining moment with a near-death experience after a blood clot, and everything just kind of went pow uh, in my head, and, and I started to get it. So been dry for five years in June 3rd, so a couple, you know, five years mm -hmm. and a couple weeks. And uh, the amount of clarity that that's provided has been huge, and it's really kind of opened my eyes to things. So... So the mission now is, is Max Fab Consulting. Uh, Max Fab is one of my keynote speeches. Uh, we'll talk about how to get a hold of me and how to look that up and, and what that means. You know, people will scratch their head and say, what is Max Fab? Once they find <laughs> out, they totally get it. Uh, and, uh, and I've taken it in a couple of directions. One is early leader training and in institutions. You know, the average person in America gets, gets their first job leading people at the age of 30. By 39, they're leading people that are leading people, and by 42, we give them some leadership training. So there's a gap there that needs to be filled, so we're working, we're working on that. Mm -hmm. But the big passion is, going back to all these things that I described, the nation creates 1,300 veterans a day. They leave the DOD and they reassimilate to society. So this is no mm -hmm. different than being left of center, because when you come out, you're left of center, mm -hmm. and you've got, <laughs> you know, there's communication issues. 
and there's a lot of stuff out there and people say gosh there's all kinds of programs and call these numbers and do these kind of things but what we don't have is we don't have veteran ready organizations in our civilian population and what I mean by veteran ready is is that somebody has gone in and taught the HR departments and the leadership in these companies these dynamics that I just described and I and I did it in very vague fashion but you know it comes down it comes down to language it comes down to um, to uh, you know how you have conversations it comes down to culture it comes down to values alignment and all these type of things because of those 1300 that get out today 43% of them will quit their job in their first year for these things I described and so at MaxFab we're working to close the gap between the civilian employers and to get them veteran ready with the whole the whole gold medal certified program that you're veteran ready to make it attractive for veterans to come to your organization uh, based on your veteran readiness, which means we understand you. We understand that you may have some challenges and we also understand all the unique skills that you bring and we're not going to be scared of those and intimidated by them. So that's my calling. That's going to be, that's the mission next. Uh, that's the way forward. And that's where we're going to, we're going to focus. There's more than vet ready there. There's counseling, there's coaching, there's teaching. I do, I do a lot of those, those type of things and, and some of the stuff you man mentioned. And I keep my finger in emergency management. I'm a disaster and emergency manager, and I do that consultancy-wise. But, but the mission is this, because uh, in the state of Montana, we are number one in veteran population per capita sans Alaska. And I, I leave Alaska out because it's a little bit different. Uh, we're number one in veteran suicide per capita, and we're number one in veteran substance and alcohol abuse per capita and we're 44th in services <laughs> and uh, we need to fix that and mm -hmm. I think I think as you can attest because this is really this is really a 360 as you can attest uh, being left of center environment is everything mm -hmm. right you choose you what you choose your environment where you're comfortable and so if we spend one-third of our lives at work that has to be perfect it's not about getting you a job it's about putting you in a place that gives you the opportunity to grow, to reassimilate, to morph into, into something that is healthy instead of you quitting your job in the first year and ending up in the bar. And then, and then unfortunately, some of us end up with, you know, with doing, you know, committing self-elimination. And that's not, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, people coming out of the service, they just they go from this highly structured very defined purpose and then they're just thrown out there and say okay now figure it out on your own and most people can't do that uh very few you know with those you know the highest number of suicides the highest uh, alcohol abuse they look in all the wrong places because you know your your job is where you find your identity after a while and when you can't find it then you go somewhere else to look for it until you hit the bottom you totally, you totally nailed it. And this, the purpose thing is, when you talk to vets that are struggling, that'll be one of the first things that come out of their mouth is, you know, I can't, I can't. It's the, they don't know who I am, and I don't know what my purpose is. And when you lose that, yeah, it, the easy things to pick up. I always say the three best counselors in the on the planet are Jim, Johnny, and Jack, right? Because that's the easiest place to mm -hmm. run and to go through. Um, the harder piece is to is to kind of get it out there. So guys like me, and I'm not the only one, but guys like me, we have to tell our stories out loud. And I'm starting to share some things, especially on moral injury. I'm starting to share some things that um, are were pretty private to me that uh, I don't think should be. Um, you know, everybody has a story, and uh, people really, really lean in 
when you talk about failure. They mm-hmm. really lean in, you know, <laughs> on that, and and it's amazing. So, mm-hmm. so why not talk about failure? Because that's kind of where we grow, right? And that's you know, those are the pain points in our life, and that's what's uh, that's what's given us the, the tools and, and why we grow. So that's the most compelling story, fortunately or unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Max Fab, and then earlier you had you mentioned One Man One Plan. Uh, can you tell us just briefly, kind of what those are and uh, where the terms came from? Sure, One Man One Plan was. Uh, was just geared around my emergency management. Uh, you know, I have my graduate degrees in disaster and emergency management. You know, that's, I'm the guy that tells you to, which way to drive when the hurricane's coming or which way to go when the wildfires fires going or ice dams and floods. So, um, uh, yeah, so we built a, we built the opportunity for, for people to, to have me in to help them do mitigation planning and, and, uh, and preparedness. You know, those are that's some places I like to work. I don't, you know, the response and recovery things after a disaster uh, always go better if you get the first three right. And so, yeah, if people are looking for that, I'm more than happy to, to come in and, and, and look around, even with businesses, even helping them with business insurance on disaster side. There's a lot of gaps there that people don't understand. And uh, but uh, and then and then Max Fab, obviously, if they get the book, you know, that uh, <laughs> and you've read it all, Scott, from front to back, you know, if they get the if they get the book and then the next one's coming in a couple of months, which. Um, I'll share with you when we got off air. I'll share with you the covers because I think you'll think they're really cool because you read the you know why mm-hmm. the, why you know um, why the cows lie down. So uh, yeah, Max Fab was created out after um, you know a really really unique leadership experience in Iraq that goes along with the keynote. And there's a chapter in the book about that. But this it all drives back to how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis, our organizational attitude and how we shape our environments, which leads right into Vet Ready and, uh, and uh, these leadership courses that, uh, that we're offering. So, yeah, it's all about giving back. You know, and the book's titled Giving Back for a Reason. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, your two books, uh, one is out already. Uh, the, other one, the other one you said in a couple months. Uh, what are they? What are people that pick them up? What, do they, can, what can they expect to get out of them? What, uh, what's their takeaways? Sure. Well, the first book, Giving Back Life and Leadership from the Farm to the Combat Zone and Beyond, is really a, uh, a compilation of tales of, of experience on the farm, what I learned from those experiences, and then how I applied those, you know, while I was leading people, um, a lot of it during, uh, during combat operations or at least, you know, rough times during my military career. And then I just leave people with some introspective thoughts at the end. So I'm not really telling anybody anything. You know, I, I don't think that there's, especially with leadership, especially when you're dealing with people or you're doing self-leadership and self-improvement, I don't think that there's 12 ways, seven hows, five whys. You know, you see these things on books. They're very attractive. Everybody wants a checklist, you know. Just can you give me, can you give me the three meals that I eat every day and, and promise me that I'll lose 25 pounds in the next three weeks? And you know, quite frankly, our society is set up that way. And some of the things that I delve into are actually talking about the things that require true work. There's no shortcut, and you have to be introspective and kind of work through those things. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, things that you know, a lot of uh, we want. Here's exactly what you can do to make a million dollars, type thing. But most of the time, you can only say here's the guidelines of what to look for in your own life and then people don't want to do it because it takes work and a lot of us are very work averse all right uh is there anything else we should know about the life universe 
everything. So it's kind of funny because you you gave me the opportunity to think about this without it being <laughs> a, without it being a uh, you know a sneak up question. I've had some conversations lately with people, and when people tend to get negative with me, I tell them, you know, there's hope, and I'll give you the reason why there's hope. Hope in every every genre that we're working in right now, even 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 our societal conflicts. People are good. And if you want data or an experiment to prove that people are good, then go to a shopping mall and watch somebody have a heart attack. Because everybody rallies. Somebody does CPR, mm -hmm. somebody calls the paramedics, somebody gets an AED, somebody does something. People are doing stuff. Even if people are just kind of hugging each other and going, oh my goodness, is there something I can do? Sometimes people go, they'll go get a glass of water even though the person can't drink it. So they'll do something. Mm -hmm. And at that moment in time, everything goes away, Scott. Race goes away, creed goes away, sexual preference goes away, left of center goes away. It all goes away because we become what we are based on the adversity. Mm -hmm. And then the lack of adversity, especially if we get very, very comfortable, all these other things creep in that kind of separate us. So there's a lot of reason for hope there because if we have to really get down to the standard day-to-day um, -day, uh, basic human needs, right? If we really got down to that, humans will react at a 99% level in a good way. And so I like to focus on that. Mm-hmm. It's good uh, food for thought. Consider that uh, as you go about your day-to-day -day life, you know what adversities are creeping in, and how can you overcome those complacent thoughts. Uh, so, how do we find you? What are the you know emails or websites or where do we direct the carrier pigeon? Sure. So the website is maxfabconsulting.com. And everything is there. You should be able to navigate off of that. But I'm on LinkedIn. If you just type my name into LinkedIn, it's David Nordell with one L, N-O-R-D-E-L. Uh, it's a pretty unique last name with one L. So it's uh, it, most everything defaults to that, even on Amazon, <laughs> YouTube. I've got a pile of podcasts. Um, we're doing one now, but a uh, pile of podcasts on, on a lot of this stuff to include the mental health journeys that go along with it and leadership. So. Uh, there's some things there to consume if you want, and uh, you can get the book right there at the at the website. And if you write me a note, if you get on there and and and, uh, and click on contact us and write me a note and and uh, with your email and your uh, mailing address, I'll send you a free signed copy of the book. All right. Well, for now, you've had a peek into the world where everything left is right, and if it feels right, then it must be left. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, like, comment, subscribe, join that Facebook community. Feel free to ask any questions you have over there. And remember that if you struggle with leadership, it's not a you problem. It's likely that you just haven't had the proper training in it. And of course, share this podcast with your friends, whether they are left, normies, or right. Before we jump into the second half of today's podcast, I want to give a shout out today to our sponsor, Dave Nordell, who you just heard from with MaxFab Consulting. Uh, we needed some special equipment to do this two-person podcast, and he fronted the fees for that so we can have a better quality podcast for everyone that wanted to tune in. Check him out, Max, maxfabconsulting.com. He's incredible at what he does, and I guarantee he can help take your business, your leadership to the next level.
Well, this is Dave Nordell, and welcome back to Left of Center, where today we're going to flip the script on Scott. <laughs> and we're going to interview we're going to interview Scott today, which is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, what would uh, what we're doing today is this is kind of the inaugural or the little coming out of, of my podcast, which is going to be called Kangaroo Leadership, and. And, and all of you will say, why kangaroos? And I think this will really relate to what Scott's going to offer today. But why kangaroos? Well, you know, kangaroos have got uh, some inherent traits. And uh, there's there's 10 really strong ones. I'll give you the first five, and maybe I'll give you the last five at the end. But, uh, you know, kangaroos are adaptable, and they're agile, and they're resilient, and they're empathetic, and they're visionaries. So there's five really, really admirable traits of leaders and really, really admirable traits to have as a person, as we navigate through um, through life, uh, through self-development, and then kind of learning ourselves, as at the same time we're out in society and kind of and kind of working with people, uh, kangaroo leadership is going to bring you leaders uh, and influential people in the community that come from all walks of life, all personalities, as we'll find out today, <laughs> and all passions. Um, but they will all. Um, based on my interactions with them, or at least their their history, they will all exhibit a high amount of the of the ten kangaroo traits. So as we know, kangaroos can only go forward. And uh, so today, uh, like I said, we're doing kind of a reverse interview, and I'm going to interview Scott. I'll let Scott. I'm going to let Scott start from scratch and tell us about about themselves. But kangaroos can only move forward, and and so the example there is is that. In life, sometimes when we face adversity, some of us want to go backwards or go back to where we were at or just stay where we were at. And, uh, and you know, I'll have an opportunity to talk about a little bit of my challenges or at least give some comparisons to let Scott talk to us. But Scott has just a unique um, journey with being left of center and how he's taken this on. So, Scott, welcome to your podcast <laughs> while I interview. Well, thanks for having me. Sure. <laughs> So do us do us a favor, Scott, for the, for the folks that are going to pick this up because maybe I'm on here or it's just the most recent one. Can you do a little recap, especially even of your like your first two podcasts? Can you just do a little recap of where you were and then how you got here? Sure. Uh, so the podcast is called Left of Normal, not Left of Center. I chose Normal because uh, Left of Center has some political leaning, and I consider myself apolitical, as in politics suck and all politicians are inherently bad people. Dave may disagree with that, as he just said, people are good people, except for politicians. They're twice as bad as everyone else. Uh, and most of it has to do with political parties that I see as for-profit money generators rather than for people, leadership organizations. That's, a, that's another topic for another time. Uh, Left of Normal came about uh, a couple years ago. We were sitting down to coffee, my wife, myself, my brother, and his wife. And I don't know how the conversation got started, but we were talking about, you know, how the struggles of running a business and growing things. Uh, my sister-in-law had just started her own consulting stuff, and it was, like, going crazy. And I'm like, I've been trying for years, and it just kind of flounders along. And so we started talking about all of that, and I said, I don't see myself as normal. I see myself on the spectrum as just left of normal. And so it came about, uh, I was suspected a lot growing up and throughout my adult life. And then I read the book uh, called Look Me in the Eye by Dave, uh, John Elder Robison. 
and he talked about struggling through Asperger's and I was reading the book and I'm like this is talking about me this is like all the things that I experience and so just looked into that more and more and discovered things about myself that the way I uh, function the way I think the way I view life and view the world and so just decided to come out with this podcast talking about what it's like to live left of normal and some of the things that I have to deal with and it's kind of you know struggles that most people don't even realize are struggles that those of us that are on the spectrum we don't understand it and we just gotta do our best right so I talked about how we met and then kind of my perspective on things which because of things in my life was a little bit of a blessing so that I can realize how I can really not make you happy and make you miserable <laughs> my you know my kind of genre but one thing that impressed me Scott that I like you to elaborate on is, is your journey because most people that are a little left to normal um, will stay there and they have very tight inner circles you know they got their their inner family and then just a few people in their lives and those, these are the people that that they can function with mm -hmm. um and then, then when they venture out it's this big emotional and energy drain and when we met you were doing one million cups and you're hosting the thing and you're dealing with mm -hmm. and that one million cups is full of a thousand <laughs> extroverts right and you just kind of let us just fly all over the room you know every wednesday for an hour mm -hmm. which is great and then at the end you just hold your hand up and you say about three sentences and we all go home which is great <laughs> But how did you do that, Scott? I mean, for, for the people that are listening that are going, I am Scott, and I am ready to kill the mm -hmm. Daves of the world, and they, are, <laughs> they don't have a podcast, and they're not consulting, mm -hmm. what is the journey? Uh, so some of it is just getting forced into it, uh, running my own business. I have to do this stuff. I have to get out there. I have to meet people. I have to network. I have to you know, grow my presence in order to survive in the business world. Uh, that business, starting my own business came about because I wasn't any good at other jobs and I hated going to work every day and doing what I was told and sitting in an office and having better ideas and saying, hearing, no, that's not how we do it or no, you need to do this or you're here from nine to five regardless of if you have work to do or not. I wanted more flexibility, more freedom. Uh, and so the work came about as I uh, started freelancing a little bit before my son was born. But then when he was born, it was an easy transition that, you know, I'll stay home and take care of a kid all day long and work on the evenings and weekends. And so it was an easy way to get out of the office without having to disappoint people and say, hey, I'm quitting because I don't like you guys. I'm quitting because I like my son more than dealing with work-related stuff. And so I'm a big fan of the idea of do one thing every day that scares you. I think that's the only way that we grow. And so I've just kind of had to put myself out there and join, join these groups and start doing things that make me nervous once I get into them and I get that new routine. It's the change of routine that's the hardest part. Once I'm in that new routine, it's easy to keep going with it until something changes again. So even things like One Million Cups or Biz to Biz groups, once I'm in them, they're actually hard to get out of because that became my routine. And now I got to figure out, even though it's easier to stay home on Wednesday mornings than to go to one million cups, my routine is to go. And so it's harder to change that routine to do nothing rather than do something that may or may not fit with my personality very well. 
So when I think about you, and I have, when I think about you, and I kind of go through, you know, Scott and how not to run over Scott because I'm sensitive to that. What do you, I look at you as a leader and the left of normal, right? I'm listening to your stuff and I'm like, oh, wow, Scott's a leader. Uh, you know, we all, we all get tagged a leader for certain different reasons. My book says leaders are anointed and appointed by their peers and followers. So I will anoint you as a, as a <laughs> leader in the left of normal community. So for those of people out there that don't have a, a, um, a job that requires them to get into this yucky place that they don't want to be, what are some other things that they can do and, and what would you tell them to give them hope, you know, to, to, to give them, you know, to, to say, you know, you can go do this stuff and bad, scary things aren't going to happen to you. And how do you recharge your batteries and those kind of things? Mm-hmm. So some of it is to just go out there and experience it. Uh, it might not be something you like. Maybe it will end up being something that you like, but just try it out once. If it's terrible and you hate it, then don't go back. Uh, and then come back and do the things that you love. I grew up being told that I needed to come out of my shell and to open up and you'll know, act more like an extrovert, extrovert, which looking back is absolutely terrible advice. And I don't wish that on anybody. Uh, if you're quiet and you're reserved, then be quiet and reserved. There's nothing wrong with it being that way. But if you want to try and expand a little bit and if you want to grow and get out of that comfort zone, uh, it might not be something you want to do all the time, but you get out of that comfort zone. You learn what it's like to be doing something different outside of your routine, and then you can go back right back into that routine if you need to. Uh, and take as long as you need, just test the waters. And this, you know, one million cups may not be for you type thing, or whatever group or organization or event you try to do, that might not be the right one. So, you know, scratch that off. Now you've learned that that's not where your personality drives you to. So maybe it's a rock climbing club that you want to join or maybe it's a book club or a Dungeons and Dragons club or wherever your interests are you can kind of start tapping into some of those and narrowing them down by crossing off the ones that didn't work sure I find that I find that amazing so um, some homework for people that will hear this and don't know what it is but if you if you study Johari's window or Joe Harry's window a guy named Joe and a guy named Harry built this thing there's three spaces in that window or four spaces in that window, right? And so it's the it's the known known things, what people know about you and you know about yourself. It's the unknown known things, right? That that you know about yourself and nobody else knows. Then there's the known unknown things which people know about you that you don't. A lot of people spend time in there fighting for feedback. This is this is thank you for shopping at, you know, Home Depot, <laughs> fill out the survey, right? Because people want to know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And they spend a lot of time in that. The other window is this unknown, unknown space. And that's the growth space. It's what you described. But it's a scary place. And nobody knows, right? You can't mm-hmm. you can't go to somebody <laughs> and say, if I, if I do one million cups, am I going to be better off or am I going to you know, want to peel my skin off? And the answer to that is, I don't know. And your answer to it is, I don't know. But that's the mm-hmm. true growth space. I mean, that's where you go to grow. And that's exactly what you just you just described. So so there's fear and pain, right? And then you have to gauge you have to gauge the fear and pain. So mm-hmm. we don't take any of these journeys by ourselves. So what are your adjuncts 
as you walk through because you just didn't wake up one day and go I'm going to do one million cups <laughs> and I'm going to start my own business there's somebody in your life something in your life that you know you can probably draw a line to so mm-hmm. who would that be um so I guess uh, starting my own business was I uh, just had an acquaintance in town that was running a local magazine and asked me to write an article and then they paid me for it I wasn't I was just doing it as a favor I didn't expect to get paid and I realized hey if I can do this one time then maybe I can supplement my income by doing this some more and so I started freelancing and doing doing that sort of thing that kind of started growing a little bit and it was just a nice way to provide for the family that didn't rely solely on one income and so as I started looking into that that's how I started just learning more about running a business and what I can do and all that um, and then the networking stuff was once I started doing more of that, then I had some acquaintances through work or, you know, school or whatever, and they started inviting me to some of these networking things in order to get over that big fear of this new thing. Uh, almost always I'd go to these events and I'd know at least one person that was there. And so especially now, even, you know, business after hours, I try to go to those every month. The chamber hosts the after hours events. I show up and there's 200 people there I know fairly well, like pretty good friends or acquaintances with five of them. And so I'll find the one that's especially outgoing and I'll go up to them and kind of cling on to them and say, hey, introduce me to somebody I don't know. And then they go around and that's how I just slowly grow that network rather than just walk up to a group of people that I completely don't know and try to butt into their conversation and try to get in there and end up thinking at least that I made a fool of myself I just tag along with people that can slowly integrate me and it's kind of like when starting a business I did it where I just dipped a toe in I still had my full-time job I was wrote an article I made 20 bucks off of it and not a lot of money but realized I can kind of expand this so I slowly integrated you don't have to jump in all at once that's great you can dip a toe in and if that water's too hot or too cold you go down to the next pool and you dip in and that one feels okay so you just slowly ease your way in rather than just plunge right in and that's where you get burnt out super fast if you just try to jump in and make a complete huge change all at once that's great you should think of adding a business model of mentoring left of normal people i did do a i had one i i called it go from no to grow from no idea how to make money without a boss to growing that idea i ran that for over a year and i made absolutely zero dollars on it i spent a lot on websites and design Mm -hmm. and tons and tons of time poured into it and nothing ever came from it so that was one of those big failures that we talked about before that i don't like to talk about because i feel embarrassed that i did something wrong but i can't figure out what i did wrong right but failing forward right like the kangaroo Yep. It's that, that, that's what this is about, right, is failing forward. And so you can't – you're not going to find anybody that's truly successful that hasn't failed forward. I tell you, this, especially with the book writing and the stuff that I've done and, and kind of the way I've weaved things, I've got piles of failure stories. So just call the <laughs> two of us and we can we can talk about failure. So, Scott, something happened. I'm going to I'm, – this is a sneak attack, so I'm going <laughs> to give Scott some latitude here. Something happened the other day uh, between you and I that you probably won't even remember, but – we were at the theater, and I needed to use the restroom, so I went upstairs, and you were there. And this place is packed. <laughs> it's before the play started. Mm-hmm. The place is packed, and here stands Scott in the midst of all <laughs> these people. 
And I said, in my extroverted way, Scott, you know, <laughs> and I got the big smile and my eyes are wide. And you looked at me like, I do not need you. I am trying to navigate <laughs> 3 million people and just get to my seat and enjoy this play. And I shook your hand real quick and I kind of buzzed off. I just went away really quick. And so, and I meant to share this with you, but I did that on purpose. I, I was totally in tune. I thought, I thought the last thing he needs is for me to engage him, even if it was just small talk, because I knew that you were working hard to do that. So I was pretty proud of you for, for doing that, because I knew that was just not your, not your place. So talk about that a little bit. Talk about um, crowds, because I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, I'll make an assumption, you tell me where I'm wrong, and then talk about it. People that are left of normal can become almost antisocial because of their fear of being in the environment, the crowds, the fair, the you know, the race, the mm -hmm. whatever it is. And so because of this fear and pain thing, you avoid that. And then that kind of can put you on a track that's not so healthy. So what do you do? Um, so some of it is just sensory overload. Uh, especially noisy environments. Usually I can go into them. I know what I'm, what I'm getting into, so I can almost turn my ears off. So the crowd noises, I don't hear them. But there are, there are some times where I'll let a noise in, and then all of a sudden it's like breaking the dam, and all of a sudden that's all I hear is 400 conversations going at the same time. And it gets a little overwhelming. So Normally, there's a bathroom or something that I can break away to, just get away from it, recollect, calm myself. Uh, sometimes if that's not available, then you have to completely just leave and go do that antisocial thing. Uh, those crowds and you know situations like that, they're things that you, I just had to learn how to deal with them. Uh, part of the avoidance comes from all these things that you're trying to pay attention to, the lights, the people, the sounds, the motions, the confusion, and now you're not paying attention to your body and what you're doing and how loud you're talking, and then now you're worried, am I making a fool of myself because I'm over-exaggerating my movements or talking too quietly for how loud it is, or am I talking too loudly? Am I interacting with the right person? Is this person just a right of normal person that just wants to hear themselves talk or are they actually interested and so all these things just compile and so you don't know basically I wonder am I doing it wrong am I doing this social stuff incorrectly and are people laughing at me without you know laughing at my face and so a lot of times I believe that a lot of people that are on the spectrum just don't even go into those situations for fear mm -hmm. of being laughed at and so it's one of those things that you know, I like going to the theater. I like going to live plays and everything like that. I know that I'll see people there. A lot of times I'll see people that I know and I intentionally go around the other way just to avoid interaction. I do it all the time in stores. So most people that are in buildings that I know, I've seen you in the store and I've intentionally avoided interacting just because I'm there to shop. I'm not there to socialize. I, I love that. I love everything that you just said because, you know, that lets people build a level of empathy. And if you can build a level of empathy, then we grow together, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's then then it's easier. I mean, and then there's more crazy people like me that go, oh, there's Scott, and I'm not <laughs> going to take this personal, right? Because I understand that. 
mm-hmm. that piece. And, and, you know, you've done a wonderful job working for me and, and helping me, you know, with my writing and getting my book squared away. And, and that's, you know, when the guys, why the cows lie down is going to be exciting stuff. I, you know, um, and you've been really helpful with that. And we've gotten to, to learn each other a little bit. You know, Scott, we got to kind of get close to wrapping this up, but I want to, I want to, I want to give you something. I'm going to give you the last words here. These last five kangaroo traits are um, agility, collaboration, authenticity, um, uh, continuous learning, and courage. And I find it amazing that everything that you just talked about in the last 20 minutes probably <laughs> encapsulates all five of those qualities because you've taken on a lot of stuff your own business and and your uh, you know your hyper awareness of your of your left of normalness and and uh, the grace that you give us you know <laughs> far righties and uh, and how you've done and how you've done to work through that so give us some final thoughts uh, tell us what we need to know how do we get a hold of you and how do you help us write a book and and all those things and um, you know we appreciate you mm-hmm uh, so I'd add one to the kangaroo list. I'd add conniving. I read that if you see a kangaroo sitting in the middle of a pond, don't go out to it because it's there to lure curious creatures in, and then it will drown them and kill them and eat them. And so they, they're very adaptive uh, when they can't catch their own food. I don't know what kangaroos normally eat. I always imagine them munching on leaves and grass, but apparently they'll eat animals too. But they'll figure out ways to lure other people in other animals in order to take advantage of them uh something that i believe i'd be very good at if i didn't have as much of a conscience as i do uh it's very easy to see people and understand their weaknesses and what's going to make them hurt uh especially as left of normal we tend to observe a lot more than people realize hyper awareness right um but that also i twist that into I use that for good instead of evil Uh, so when writing a book or doing a blog or any copywriting on a website I take a spectrum approach to it where I look at um, you know from an outside perspective where we can get people tend to get caught up in their own viewpoint where my viewpoint not only is not your viewpoint but it's also another step removed so it's even further away from what you're anticipating and what you're thinking so it can bring a whole new perspective to a book or any sort of writing and so that's why one of the reasons I joined up with Rogue Publishing Partners that's the I'm a one-sixth owner in that one one of the founding members where we do everything for publisher publishing Uh, authors that don't want to write a single sentence we type the entire book for them edit it design it get it through the publishing process we can start to finish or if you already have the manuscript and you just want it touched up or cleaned up or go through the bestseller campaign or anything like that. So we can, with the book business, that's where I help out. Uh, that one's roguepublishingpartners.com. Otherwise, you can find me at scottseary.com. I love it. Or all over social medias. Uh, there's not very many series out there, S-E-R-Y, so pretty easy to find me. I love it. I love it. Only one out of every 200 people that want to write a book get it done. Scott is the bridge to the fear and pain because all you have to do is just sit down and have a conversation with Scott and give him an idea. And uh, and if you really just want to talk into a microphone and turn it over to him, he'll turn it into your masterpiece. So mm-hmm. so find Scott, and uh, and we appreciate you. Thanks, Scott. You make me better, and mm-hmm. you are, uh, you're uh, kicking off 
the kangaroo leadership with the, with conniving. I'll, I'll add that in there, and we'll talk about that. That's probably there's some agility pieces in there. That's awesome. And uh, thanks so much, and uh, I appreciate you letting me do this. Yep. Thanks for thanks for hosting.